Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello, and welcome to this EM360 podcast. My name is Chris Steffen. I'm the Research Director for Enterprise Security at Enterprise Management Associates, and I'm your host on today's podcast. Today, I'm joined by Krupa Sarvatsan, Director of Product Marketing at Infobox, and we're going to talk to you about working from home and remote user security during this pandemic crisis, and then we're going to finish up a little bit with Zero Trust. Krupa, can you let me know a little bit about yourself before we get started? Sure. Thank you, Chris. I'm Krupa Srivatsan. I work at Infoblox in product marketing, and I've been with the company for many years now, focused on our cybersecurity solutions. Great. That's excellent. So um, as you well know, and as everybody that's probably listening to this podcast knows, things are a little bit different than they they were not all that long ago. And, and we're all dealing with the pandemic crisis in one form or another. Can you tell me a little bit, Group, about how things have changed with Infoblox to deal with the pandemic crisis? So just like, you know, most organizations, we've started working from home, you know, by the middle of March. And most of our employees now, except for a few essential workers who have to go access lab equipment or things like that, are working remotely, right? And one of the, one of the good things about, about Infoblox, well, even before the, the pandemic, you know, we were set up from an infrastructure perspective pretty well to, to support remote work, right? A lot of our uh, employees, um, even before the pandemic, were working you know, from their home offices. So we have a really distributed workforce. Our headquarters is in Santa Clara, California. We have a big office in Tacoma, Washington. And then those are kind of the big major offices in the U.S. And then we have a lot, a lot of workers working out of their home office just because, you know, we go where the talent is, right? And when this pandemic came on and when significant majority of the workforce had to switch to remote work, it was, it was pretty smooth transition. But I wouldn't say that's the case for a lot of companies. I think because, you know, being in the tech industry, many companies are suited for remote work, but that's not always the case for for other parts of the economy and other, other industries. So we have heard that some companies and organizations are, you know, a little bit struggling to to really make sure that their employees have connectivity, to make sure their employees are connecting to whatever resources they need in a secure fashion, right? And I know we're going to talk a little bit about security for work from home users, but uh, I think it's a reality that uh, a lot of companies are are uh, facing. Yeah, you know, we're seeing some of the same thing. You know, once you get past some of the, you know, initial connecting, you know, to the home office sort of problems then taking and dealing with security after the fact. What have you seen as some of the trends with Infobox customers dealing with working from home? Is this the new normal? It is the new normal, at least for now, right? Until we, you know, we we know where the virus is headed and until we know if there's going to be a vaccine and things like that. Uh, A lot of customers are having their users work from home. And some of the trends that we've seen is obviously a lot of the employees of these customer organizations are using either VPN or some sort of a secure tunnel to connect to their corporate network. And not all of them are using VPN all the time, but it has become a technology that's increasingly being used now. And the other thing we're seeing is obviously a lot of uh, you know online communications portals like Zoom or, or Microsoft or, or Google Meet, things like that. 
definitely we've seen um, that uh, you know uh, they are relying more and more on online communication. And I think when when you know some of the customers, depending on which industry they're in, right, they have taken a hit on their revenue. Uh, some of them have not. So I guess it all depends on which part of the economy, which part of the sector your company is in. And you know, I think only time will tell how all of these companies and how we all emerge from the pandemic. Absolutely. I, I know that we've seen a lot of that phase one where customers are scrambling to get their users connected to the office to be able to work from home. And it's caused a lot of security holes that they're kind of patching up in what we call phase two. What kind of security holes have you been seeing because of this dash to get people to be able to work from home? Yeah, and I'm glad you asked. I mean, I could talk about this all day long, right? Over the last few weeks, I've seen so many reports, so many alerts from, you know, a government agencies about this new types of attacks and rising attacks on different companies simply because, you know, the bad guys are taking advantage of this, right? They are jumping on this opportunity. People are um, trying to get more information. There's general chaos And uh, so they're going to different places on the internet to get information. They want to go to a website that shows a map of all the infections in the U.S. All of these things are enticing, if you want to say enticing, bad actors to launch campaigns and attacks because they know the general population is vulnerable, right? And for example, some of the malware campaigns we've seen are related to sending out spam emails around the coronavirus pandemic. And they say, you know, click on this. We know more information about the supply chain disruption as a result of the pandemic. Click here to learn more. Click here to get more information. So there are a lot of spam campaigns that are out there now in the last few weeks. Just March alone, we saw a barrage of these coronavirus-related campaigns. And uh, most of them are used to drop in what's called InfoStealer malware, right? And what InfoStealer malware does is, and there are different names for different variants, but what these um, types of malware do is they try to capture, once it's it's downloaded on a device, they try to capture keystrokes, right? So uh, when a user is trying to log into his bank website or, or e-commerce, whatever, it captures keystrokes and now their, their login ID and password are stolen. So we've seen a huge amount of campaigns just in March and April around that. And then not necessarily attacks, but a security concern is that not everybody is, you know, like I said, always using VPN. These user devices are now outside the corporate network. They are not protected by the full security stack that you typically see in an enterprise network. The remote users are using public Wi-Fi or they're using their service provider's Wi-Fi and they're connecting to the internet, right? Even if the devices are company provided, still they are outside the corporate perimeter. So they're definitely more exposed to all the bad things out there on the internet. And and, and that could mean that their data is exposed, their devices are vulnerable to hacks and attacks, including ransomware. And so there is a certain urgency to secure these remote users who are now outside the corporate perimeter. Yeah, EMA's research across multiple verticals, you know, not just security, our our networking team, our business intelligence team has kind of shown a lot of the same trends that you're seeing as well. So um, I'm glad to hear that you guys are recognizing that as well. You, You mentioned a little bit about VPNs. Talk to me a little bit about VPNs and talk to me specifically about DNS security. I know that enterprises are using VPNs to make work from home happen. Talk to me a little bit about some of the security around VPNs and how they work as a tool. 
Yeah, sure. So what's happened ever since the pandemic hit and we all started working from home is that in general, more and more users now are using VPN to make the work from home happen, right? So let's say employees want to access certain applications that are in the proper data center or they want to access certain resources, internal platforms that are only available if you VPN into the corporate network. They're doing that, but they're not only doing that. They are also accessing cloud-based applications because even at Infoblox, a lot of our business applications, you know, stuff that we need to access to do our day-to-day job are in the cloud, right? So think of Office 365, think of um, Salesforce and, and other productivity tools, think of collaboration tools. All of them are cloud-based. You don't really need to do VPN to access those applications and, and do your job. We have this notion that Users are using VPN for part of their work, so they're secure. That's not always the case. There are many situations where they're directly going to the internet and and accessing cloud applications, which means it's not going through the VPN tunnel, which means the devices are exposed. And the other thing to think about is that there was an alert from the U.S. government agency, DHS, that when you have the sudden large-scale remote workforce, they all start using VPN, right? It's going to get overwhelmed. And at some point, it's going to fail, and there will be a subset of users who will not be able to get onto the VPN simply because of the scale, right? So scale is very important when you're thinking about securing such a large-scale remote workforce. So those are some of the challenges around VPN. You know, there could be other challenges like, you know, if it's not patched, it's not up-to-date, there could be vulnerabilities in the VPN software. So those are some of the things to think about. And I'm not saying, you know, don't use VPN. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's good for what it's designed for, but it's not sufficient. I couldn't agree with you more. And the reality of it is, it's one of the things that I have talked about many, many times through many different types of media about you know, VPNs and why they're valuable, where they're lacking, what you can do to kind of shore up some of those concerns. So thank you for sharing some of that information. I really am kind of interested when we wrap up this topic a little bit, I am kind of interested to know a little bit about, you know, what advice you might have for the security professionals listening to this podcast that need to deal with their working from home changes. Yeah, yeah, of course. And um, I think you mentioned DNS security in a previous conversation, and I want to bring that up, right? So we have these security professionals who are tasked with securing the entire workforce, and now that workforce is outside the office. So one of the quick and easiest ways to bolster security for these remote users is to use a cloud-based DNS security solution, simply because of what I said before. It scalably protects hundreds of thousands of users with minimum installation or no infrastructure changes, right? And with minimum effort. And the reason I say it's minimum effort is because it's, you know, a DNS security that's hosted, obviously Infoblox provides a solution that's cloud-based DNS security. And it is hosted in the cloud. There's very little that the security professionals need to do in terms of configuring stuff on appliances. There's nothing like that. And all they have to do is have the the agent deployed again from the cloud on all of these remote devices seamlessly. And now, as soon as the agent is deployed, it's going to start routing DNS queries from that device to the cloud-based DNS security solution where you can do policy enforcement. And when I say policy enforcement, I mean blocking malware communications or even preventing users from going to websites that may be hosting things like ransomware. One of the things that most people don't realize is 
while DNS is needed for connectivity, letting the users go to the applications that they want to go to or accessing a website, DNS is also used by 90% of malware. Most malware use DNS at some point in its life cycle. So when you use a cloud-based DNS security solution, you can proactively prevent the user from going to a website that's hosting malware. You can also, if the device is already compromised or it has a piece of malicious code running on it, you can prevent that uh, malware from doing further damage. Usually what happens is once the initial payload is on the device, it'll do a, what's called a command and control uh, communication to a CNC server. So you can detect that at the DNS level and, and block it as well. So that prevents that piece of code from downloading additional malicious software. The, the important thing to think about is when these remote devices are infected, it's very easy to, for the infection to move laterally, right? And so prevention is obviously the best approach, but if it's already infected, then as soon, the how soon can you detect it, I think is key as well. And um, DNS security helps with both of, both of those situations. The other advice I would say is make sure all the software are patched. You want to make sure that there are no vulnerable pieces of software running on your remote users' devices and follow the usual security protocols, right? Training for the uh, for the workforce, uh, reminding them not to click on phishing links. Some, sometimes it's just as simple as reminding them not to click on phishing links, right? And we see more and more of these phishing attacks happening. So um, making sure, you know, you, you refresh their training, uh, everything is patched and you use something like a DNS-based security solution to augment the VPN usage. Yeah, I, I think that we're going to find here that DNS, cloud-based DNS is really going to be the best practice going forward. I, I know that Infoblox has their solution. There's a number of other solutions out there, but really taking and looking into your DNS and making certain that it's secure and preventing a lot of those attacks right before they even happen is always going to be the best practice. The other thing I'd add too, is that when you're taking and looking at work from home, it isn't only the the corporate infrastructure that needs to be looked at. A lot of times people haven't updated their Wi-Fi connection and their routers, and sometimes they're using a non-corporate owned asset to access those corporate owned networks, like a home computer or something like that. A lot of times they have their kid playing some video game or streaming some movie at the same time. So really good to kind of, you know, clean up your home environment as well during this time, make certain that it all is following best practices as well. You had specifically mentioned before, you know, that this is an interesting time while we're working from home to take a look at security. One of the things that I'd like to talk a little bit about, and I know that you have interest in as well, is zero trust. And I know that there's a, a number of companies right now that are really looking at zero trust now that they have a little bit of bandwidth to really do an evaluation. Tell me how Infoblox really views zero trust and why it's important. Zero trust, as we all know, is a concept that is centered on the notion that companies or organizations should not automatically trust anything, even inside the perimeter, right? Well, if you look 10, 15 years ago, security was all about having perimeter firewalls, perimeter IDS, IPS to block everything that's outside the corporate network and then everything inside the network was considered safe. But that's no longer, zero trust actually turns that around. It says, don't trust anything inside or outside your perimeters, right? And you must always continuously verify everything that's trying to connect to the systems, right? Before granting access. And zero trust has been around for like 10 years or more. And it was a concept brought on like maybe 10 years ago by Forrester. But, you know, the, one of the reasons it's picking up now is simply because 
Companies' networks are no longer what it was 10, 15 years ago. You don't have all your applications sitting in your data center and everybody VPNing into the corporate network or even with working within the corporate network and, and the corporate headquarters and accessing those applications. Everybody's distributed. You have branch offices, things like SD-WAN. You know, these days, branch offices are implementing SD-WAN. You have remote users. You have BYOD. You have IoT. So all of these transformations has made the networks more complex and it's made security more challenging, right? Because now everything is not within the corporate firewall. So what happens is, what do you trust and what do you not trust, right? So you need something more than just perimeter security. And one of the core components of Zero Trust is that you need to know where your critical data, sensitive data is and how that data flows. And then, you know, you need to protect access to that data and applications, um, based on user privileges and continuously verify that that user has the privilege to access that application or system or data, right? And one of the ways to do that is micro-segmentation, right? You segment your network using certain parameters and you can go as small as you want in micro-segmentation or as broad as you want. But uh, the idea here is each micro-segment has security controls applied, which means that any segment that's trying to communicate with a, a different microsegment, you have to make sure that the security, necessary security access is there and preventions are there. So what this does is it prevents threats. When you do microsegmentation and zero trust-based architecture, you're limiting the ability for threats to kind of land and expand, right? So I think that's why we see more and more talk of zero trust. And DNS, so from an InfoBlox perspective, DNS actually has a key role to play in zero trust architecture because number one, it provides better centralized visibility of all computing resources. So if you look at the DNS logs and if you look at the DNS data, you know exactly which device in which part of the network is accessing which application, you know, who that device is assigned to, and then how often is it going to a particular resource or application. There's a lot of identifying information and his, not only historical, but also forensic information in the DNS platform that can be leveraged for continuously monitoring access, right? And then people don't realize that. Since most traffic, even malicious traffic, since most of this traffic goes through DNS resolution first, it's an important source of telemetry, providing all the client information I mentioned earlier. And it can also help detect anomalous behavior, right? Let's say a device is going to a server where it usually doesn't go to. You will know that by looking at the DNS traffic. And so this prevents that east-west spread of threats and protects that east-west traffic between the micro-segments. Yeah, that's a great summary of zero trust. I don't think I could even add anything to that. It's something that I've followed for a long time. It's something that is obviously popping up more and more as people see the real benefits of it. In this time that we're working in right now with all the pandemic and working from home, so on and so forth, tell me how Zero Trust affects remote workers and improves their overall security. You know, in today's world, we have this remote workers. You know, These remote workers still need to be productive. They still need to be doing whatever they were doing when they were in the office, right? which means they need access to all the critical systems, the applications, the data, but now they'll be accessing all of that from outside the perimeter. So the risk is growing, right? So this is a perfect time for, for organizations to start applying some of the zero trust model, right? Zero trust capabilities, right? Things like what we talked about in you know, a cloud-based DNS filtering or cloud-based DNS security solutions like CASB, which offer some zero trust capabilities. 
again, these are all cloud-based, delivered from the cloud. There's no need for anyone to go anywhere to get anything installed or change any infrastructure. There's no added infrastructure costs. So zero trust models can be approached or can be started on now when these users are outside the perimeter. So you can add that extra layer of security. And, you know, bear in mind, like fully deploying zero trust security is a monumentous task, right, across the entire network. It's not like switching on a button and now you have zero trust security, right? It takes time. It has to be done in phases. And this is a perfect time to start phase one, right? Get your remote users on you know, a cloud-based solution that can provide that first layer of defense and that can help you with policy enforcement, help you with analyzing data flows as well, and making sure that the right access policies are there for, for the type of users that are accessing those applications. So you can start small and this is a time to start, right? Cloud-based systems are like the uh, a seamless way to get to, uh, even, even it's not a full zero trust solution, but even a partial zero trust solution, right? In, in a rapid amount of time, the best way to do that is using cloud-based security like we talked about. So we can start now, start small, and then obviously when everybody goes back into the office, you know, you can expand on the zero trust model in future phases. But I think it's a perfect time to start that. Yeah, it's been my experience that as a practitioner, that zero trust is iterative. It's not something that you do all at once. It's not something you do overnight. And so even getting those little steps starting now makes it much more interesting. I, I will share too that Infobox has some really interesting slide shares and webinars and, and slide decks out there that kind of discuss zero trust. One of the ones that I actually found the most interesting was how Zero Trust can help companies face some of their bigger compliance-related challenges. Can you talk to me a little bit about how compliance relates to Zero Trust and and what the overall picture using Zero Trust to resolve compliance challenges? Yeah, sure. So, you know, um, there are some industries and some companies in those industries where they have to adhere to certain compliance regulations, right? It could be HIPAA, it could be, you know, CCPA or whatever, right? And uh, and, and, and the main reason for all of the, many of those compliance requirements is to protect sensitive data, right? And uh, one of the core tenets of, of Zero Trust is that you need to know where your, your sensitive data resides and you need to make sure you understand all the data flows in your network so that you're able to provide access only to those who need that access to that data, right? So if you start down the path of Zero Trust and start understanding where your data resides and start off that journey of micro-segmentation, you're actually doing more to protect your sensitive data, which means that you are helping with your compliance requirements for data protection. So I think compliance could be one of the big drivers of adoption for zero trust. And I think it continues to evolve as we speak. And you know, we keep having new compliance mandates every year. You know, we had GDPR a couple of years ago. We have CCPA in effect this year. So I think going forward, it's just, you know, going to get more and more complicated, especially as the networks evolve and, and, and become more complex. So, you know, there are, there are different compliance frameworks that can be used. You know, we've got MITRE. We've, those are kind of cybersecurity frameworks. But in the end, you know, the idea is to protect the data and Zero Trust can really help with that uh, and help with some of the compliance requirements. I totally agree. And it's been one of the things that I've talked about for a long time. You've provided great insights today, Kripa. Do you have anything else that you wanted to share before we kind of close up today? 
No, I think it, these are really important topics um, that people should be thinking about and discussing. And, you know, uh, nobody knows how, how much longer this is going to affect the broader economy and the broader world out there. So definitely staying ahead of uh, some of these threats and attacks that, um, that we hear about and we read about and making sure people are proactive about security is something that we always recommend. So that will be kind of my key takeaway. Excellent. No, great insights today. And thank you to everybody who listened to this podcast today. If you'd like more information on what we discussed today, make sure you head over to, to infoblocks.com for more information. Like I mentioned before, some great resources there that you can kind of look at and download and gain some more insight as to best way to handle some of these, these challenges that you're facing. Again, thank you for your time today and have a great day. You've been listening to the EM360 podcast. For more great content, head on over to em360tech.com. 